Well, it's good to be together today, and good to have a chance to be in God's Word together. Uh, I never cease to be thankful that we serve a God who chose to speak to us. Uh, He didn't have to, but he did. And it wasn't just a silent, sort of subjective inner message that he gave to us. He gave us his word written down and available to us. Living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And the Holy Spirit, who leads us into the truth of his word, uh, sort of makes you think God wanted us to know what he said, (laughs) to act on it. I'm so thankful that we have access to his word. Let's pray together as we come before the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word this day. Thank you that you're a God who has spoken. We pray that your Holy Spirit would guide in our time, that we would understand what you've said, understand it in our minds, but also in our hearts, that we would recognize the application of it, that in what we believe, what we think, how we act, that we would be brought into conformity to your purpose and plan. Give us alertness of mind, keep us from distraction. And we'll give you thanks for that, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in 1 Peter, working our way now through that book. Uh, I won't use the word quickly, because that's hardly hardly appropriate to use here. But we are working our way uh, through the book. Today I want to pick up our reading in chapter 1, verse 6. And I'm going to read on through to verse 9. In this you rejoice... Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We're kind of picking up the developing message midpoint here. I had shared with you before that verses 3 to 11 are all part of the same sentence in the Greek, in the original language. And therefore, we're still part of an unfolding idea. The, the book began, as you remember, with reminding us three things about us as believers. That we're aliens, exiles in this world. That we are sovereignly scattered in this world by God's plan. Uh, he wants us in different places as his ambassadors, but he doesn't want us to really fit anywhere. Except the kingdom of which we are a part. And that, as believers, we've been chosen by God. His people. In verses 3 to 5, the backdrop to the verses today, we learned about four of God's great mercies for the believer. Number one, the mercy of a new birth. That in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only did we find forgiveness, cleansing, justification in the sight of God, a future and a hope, but He has changed us. He has made us new creations. A whole series of things that happen that are overwhelming. He's given us new birth. He's given us living hope. We talked about how Ephesians 2 says, the world, the people in the world are without hope. 
But in Christ, we have a living hope, an active hope. It's a continuing hope. We're the only ones who really have a reason to have hope. And we're the only ones who will find whatever we have our hope in sustains forever. And doesn't disappoint at some point. We talked about His mercy in giving us an inheritance. Join heirs with Christ. And we talked at the end about His mercy in protecting us. That no one can snatch us out of his hand. Our salvation is secure in him, and he will watch over it until that time where we are in his presence. Now, today, in these verses 6 to 9, which, again, remember, are part of the same very extended sentence in the uh, the original, uh, though we have a secure and protected salvation, God reminds us in a very straightforward sort of way, that that does not mean while we are in this world that he's purposely scattered us in, it doesn't mean that while we're in this world, we will be exempt from trials. In fact, just the opposite will be true. He says, as my children, rest that no one can snatch you out of my hand, but don't rest thinking being in my hand means no bad things can happen while you're in this world. (laughs) Things can happen according to my, my purpose and plan and permissive will, that are going to be pretty tough things. Despite my protection over you in the salvation that is yours, you're still going to face times of suffering and trial. A protected salvation does not equal life without struggles. It equals an eternal life with certainty, but not a life without struggles. So let's look further at this, because everything in the scriptures unfolds according to the divine intention. There's a reason why these verses are here after these wonderful verses talking about new birth and living hope and inheritance and protection. (laughs) Because God wants us to be settled in the truth, the picture, the total picture of what's true for us as believers. Let's begin to look at it. In this you rejoice, and of course that's a reference back to those wonderful things, the new birth, the living hope, the inheritance, the protection. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Redeemed believers can and will still face times of trial and suffering in this world. Trials and sufferings will occur. And if, if this was in some of the churches that I've spoken in over the years, at that point there'd be this resounding, Amen, yeah, yeah we've experienced that, you know, yep, 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 that's right. Uh, between the promised inheritance of the preceding verse, that will never fade or spoil or perish, and the present time in which we live, we will experience times of struggle and trial. That's his point. God says we will face this reality for a little while. And the question has to come up, well, what do you mean by a little while, Lord? Does that mean I'll have a week of this? You know, what is is the little while? And we need to understand when God uses that phrase, he's talking about little while always in reference to eternity, relative to eternity. Remember, he says later on, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. Uh, now there's a little while, yeah. We always have to put timing and duration into the eternal perspective 
how God views it. And God, looking at the thing he's permitting in our life right now, he's saying, this is a little while. And I, you know, it's not uncommon for us in such a comment to, you know, when we're having our private walk with the Lord to say, hey, I thought you said a little while. You know, this has gone on quite a while, Lord. He says, puts his hand on your shoulder and says, that's really a little while. (laughs) That's what's going on here. God is saying, listen, have my perspective on it. Even in the difficult times, I've got a purpose in it, and it'll, it will end. It will end, but I've got a purpose in it. What I think is so crucial for us here in this reminder from God is this. God never tries to hide that from us. He never hides the reality and possibility of it. The Word of God never presents a picture of the Christian life that implies it will be free from suffering. It never presents a picture of the Christian life that implies to us that we're going to have this protected, hedge-around-us experience. No difficult times, no difficult whatever. The Bible never says that. The Bible says the opposite. And you say, well, I've heard that other a lot. Yeah, because there's a lot of false teaching around. Teaching that is not biblical. Teaching that says, well, you turn to, you follow Jesus... They don't always necessarily even define what they mean by follow Jesus, but they'll say if you follow Jesus, you'll be happy, uh, you'll be contented, uh, you'll, you'll be free of disease. There'll be some real financial advances for you if you, if you do this. God never says that. Uh, he never says that. People attempt to sell Jesus by false promises of prosperity and good times and no suffering. You know, we do this stuff. Listen, we're not salesmen. God didn't give us that call. We are ambassadors, spokesmen. We don't have any right to change what God said. Our task is to tell people what God said. And we come back and say, well, people weren't happy with what you said. So I thought I'd come at it from a different angle and tell them something different. No, no, no. That's not what God gives us the responsibility or the right to do. We're his spokesmen. We don't have to sell anybody on Jesus. We share with them the reality of the very gospel we were talking about as we shared in the Lord's Supper. And at the heart of everybody is a realization that they're not right with God if they haven't turned to Christ. The realization of guilt. Now, they may still choose to rebel against God. But listen, brothers and sisters, if they're not willing to really deal with their reality of sin and opposition from God, whatever allegiance you think you got from someone for some other reason, they're not saved. Salvation has everything to do with the forgiveness of sin, realizing that we need to repent and believe and find an answer. There were a lot of people following Jesus at points in his three years of ministry that then abandoned him when it became clear what this was going to be all about. There's no trick to getting lots of people to follow something if you modify the message to make it something they want to hear. I keep telling people that, even pastors as I speak, and sometimes there's just kind of a dull stare. Listen. Nobody turns to Christ apart from the work in the Holy Spirit anyway. And the Holy Spirit takes God's word and works with it. What do I think I can do? How, how do I think I'm going to be able to improve that process? 
you know. Whatever I'm able to do to reach, quote, a person, I'm reaching them at the not the right level. There's got to be a much deeper reaching, which only the Word of God and the Holy Spirit can do, than any kind of gimmick I can come up with. Well, as I say, God never tries to hide this from us. And so, you know, we were talking earlier about the picture of us as, as uh, scattered aliens in the world. I think we can add to it now, because it's all part of the same thing. He says, listen, we're sometimes suffering scattered aliens. You say, well, that doesn't, not likely the community is going to flock to us if they know that's the case. You know, well, okay. But that's the truth of it, isn't it? Sometimes we're suffering scattered aliens. I was thinking, there's so many verses I could turn to here, but let me just give you three as an example. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Notice he doesn't say, some will be unlucky enough to have that experience. Everybody who chooses to follow will have that experience. Well, that kind of undercuts the, the message, doesn't it, a little bit? If we're trying to imply that that's not going to happen. Later on in First Peter, in the fourth chapter, he says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I mean, it's God saying that to us. You know, if you've been sold a bill of goods that, oh, if I just do this for Jesus, everything's covered, you're going to be real surprised by a lot of things that happen and think it's awful strange that God allows this and allows that. And God says, no, wait a second. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Not if you meet trials of various kinds. When you meet trials of various kinds. Well, as I said, we could go on and on and on and on. My point, though, here to pick up on our First Peter study is God says, the truth of the matter is, I love you, chosen you. You have all of these wonderful blessings that I've made for you. I'm protecting you. You're in my hand. But that doesn't mean there's not going to be trials here. There's going to be trials here. There's going to be trials. And he even goes further. He says, you've been grieved by various of these trials. Our times of trial can be more than just unfortunate times. They can be grievous times. Grievous the Greek word lupeo is the one that's translated here by grieved. And you know, that word is an interesting word. It is describing, in the Greek language that distinguishes between various levels of grief, it's describing a deep grief, or as one of the scholars puts it, a gut-wrenching emotional pain. Gut-wrenching. You say, well, I thought God was going to keep me from any of that sort of stuff. No, 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 no. God says, you may well have gut-wrenching pain sometime. Physical, emotional, whatever. That, that, that can happen in my plan. Our faith doesn't make us immune to that. My faith doesn't make me immune to times of intense sadness. But I have a hope in the midst of it, like we were talking earlier about the death of a loved one who is in the Lord. You know, we're going to have tears with that. But we don't have tears in despair and hopelessness. We have tears with hope. I can have intense sadness because there's things I'm supposed to be sad about. The Lord Jesus wept over things in this world. Uh, I can have those. I can have those. 
By the way, I, I believe that's why Romans 12.15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. According to the message that's been popularized wrongly and falsely in much of Christianity, you'd only have to do the first part of it. Because the message said there's nobody going to be weeping. You know, you, know, you get together at church, that's where you rejoice and everybody's rejoicing. No, no, no. God says sometimes there'll be people rejoicing. Other times there'll be people weeping. Why? Because they have gut-wrenching emotional pain in this world in the midst of their trials. That's why. God says we need each other in those times. Church isn't to be a place where you pretend like those don't happen. Because if you start doing that, then nobody's willing to talk about the fact it's happening. That's no good. It's okay to come in and say, this week's been a gut-wrenching week for me. <laughs> Pray with me. Encourage me. You know. Next week may be not gut-wrenching, you know, but the Word of God is so exceedingly practical. I hope you see this. God knows what we face and permits it. But he goes on and he says, In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while this happens, even if I'm in gut-wrenching grief, wounded and weary, as the psalm says, I can still rejoice in the Lord. Oh, you mean even in gut-wrenching? Yeah, yeah. God says that, that can happen. Not because you have such fortitude, but because He's at work in you. The Holy Spirit works in you. We can still rejoice. And the formula is in this. In this, though now. What? In this refers to the previous promises. New birth, new hope, you know, all of these things that are ours. He says, in this you can rejoice even though now you're facing gut-wrenching trials. You can still rejoice. Though now that's the case. And the truth of the matter is, brothers and sisters, when we know Christ, and even when we've been in some gut-wrenching times, haven't you had that experience where even there the circumstance arises where your heart rejoices? You hear this song, you gather with the brothers, and even if you're there with tears, uh, something happens and you find rejoicing going on inside. God says, that's the wonder for my children. Even when they're gut-wrenching, I haven't abandoned them. I'm still at work. I'll never leave them or forsake them. Knowing the fact of continuing trials for the believer, God now tells us about that fact. And he says, listen, one reason I'm permitting all of this is to test the genuineness of your faith. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, when it comes to gut-wrenching trials, God never explains 100% his purposes in that. He never answers every question we might be posing to him about it, but he answers some of them. And here's one of his answers. He says, among other things, this gut-wrenching trial that you're facing, I'm doing to give you this insight into the genuineness of your faith. A priceless insight in times of despair. In times of hurt. God says, I'm, I'm permitting this to happen to show this. By the way, tested genuineness 
The word tested is a form of the Greek word dakomazo, which, which refers to a particular type of test. That's, that's the kind of test that proves competency. You know, some people have tests, the whole goal of which is to make you fail. <laughs> uh, but that's not what this is about. The goal of this type of test is to see whether you've grasped the material or not. A good example of it would be like a bar exam. Or, uh, in, in my life, the oral doctoral exams where I'm be- before the different professors within our department. And for three hours, I have to stand in front of them and answer every conceivable question about the field that they may come up with and argue whatever points they want argued. I mean, the purpose of such tests are to show whether you have it or not, not cause you to lose it. You follow? They're, they're not like temptations that their whole goal of it is make you stumble. They're, they're there to reveal an existing condition. If you can't pass the bar exam, you shouldn't be practicing law. All right. And you say, well, there's, I don't know if the bar exam's that great. Well, probably not, but at least it's a, it's, it's a, it's a necessary piece of the picture. Uh, if you can't pass your doctor orals, you shouldn't be given a Ph.D. Uh, well, that's the word he uses. The trials that he puts in here aren't to cause us to lose faith. They're to reveal whether the faith is there. The genuineness of it. To reveal it to us. So that we can know the truth about it. Now, here's the point. God is omniscient. This isn't, a tri- this isn't serving his need. He already knows whether your faith is genuine or not. He doesn't, he doesn't need something like that to prove it out. So you're worried, oh boy, I, you know, I didn't pass this high enough, God's done with me. You know, no, this isn't for God, he's omniscient. It's for you. Not God. 2 Corinthians 13.5, we've looked at it at different times. The command to test yourselves to see whether Jesus Christ be in you or not. That we were looking at back in the second chapter of, uh, of 1 John when we were looking at some of the tests to help us know whether we know Christ. That's what this is about. He says this is how you can know. We can have an experience of assurance that emerges out of times of affliction that is accessible no other way. It's one of the strange blessings that can come out of gut-wrenching times. I can say, I know that I know him now. <laughs> it, was, it was made plain in this time. And God says, listen, understand that this outcome, that tested, proven faith is the most value, one of the most valuable commodities in the world. He says this is more precious than gold. That's his terminology here. This is more precious than gold. To be assured of the genuineness of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is worth more than gold. Why? Because then we know that all of those things we've been talking about are actually ours. You know, the, the assurance, the inheritance, and all of these things are actually ours. It deepens that. I mean, what greater gift could anybody have than inside to know all of these things are actually ours? Not hope so, but actually are. He says, 
when we have that genuine faith, we know that when Christ returns, there's going to be three things that we can count on. It says, one, we're going to have praise from God. Epenos in the Greek, meaning commendation. If my faith's genuine, I know there's going to be a time when the Lord returns where I'm going to hear, well done. Everybody wants to be affirmed. One of the driving forces of humanity, isn't it? <laughs> We'd like to be affirmed. God says, you've got an affirmation time coming. He says, if your faith's genuine, and the trial gives us that assurance sometimes, then not only is there praise from me, but there's glory from me, doxa, renowned honor. Now, it's all a mystery to me. It's like, well, I don't think, I don't think there's any good, I don't know how I'm going to get glory here. I mean, I'm me, you're you, uh, it doesn't make sense. And God says, well, you don't have to understand it completely, but understand something's going to be done at that point in time in which part of my glory is reflected in you, and in that is your glory, too. Uh, those are one of the mysteries of the faith. And he goes even further, and he says, honor from God. Time, in the Greek, uh, there's a mystery, too. I know when I appear before the Lord, as the Scripture puts it, you'll whatever crown you get, you'll cast at his feet. Like the elders, it's like, hey, I know nothing was accomplished apart from your grace. You did, I couldn't have saved myself. You saved me. I couldn't have accomplished anything in ministry except for the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. So ultimately, all the honor is God's. And yet God says, well, there's going to be honor from God, not only for God, in that time. So what do I do with passages like that? I go for a little walk with the Lord and say, I don't understand all that, Lord. I know it's true. I sure don't understand it. Uh, and God says, well, you're finite. And I didn't choose to tell you more about it. And just let you know that part. So is that going to be enough? And in my case, usually I sort of reluctantly say, oh, I guess so. <laughs> I really like the rest of the answer to this. But there's nowhere to turn if God didn't give it. I certainly don't want to turn to my own speculations about it. Bad place to get wrapped up, brothers and sisters. The passage ends, these verses end, with God giving us four proofs of a genuine faith. He says these proofs uniquely emerge in times of gut-wrenching trial. Four proofs that come in a true faith in the midst of a gut-wrenching trial. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that's inexpressible. And filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Four proofs. Number one. Lord, I'm in a gut-wrenching trial. But in it, I find a love still there for him. I don't stop loving him because of my gut-wrenching trial. By the way, the word love here is agape. So God's not just talking about emotion, although that's part of it. Agape is selflessness and self-surrender. It means 
Lord, in the midst of the gut-wrenching trial, I still have my affection for you. I am committed to surrender before you. I want to serve you. I want to serve you through my tears, maybe. But I want to serve you. I still love you. The world thinks, well, if God wants somebody to love him, he needs to give them all these good gifts so that, you know, that would, he could buy their love. God doesn't buy anybody's love. Well, he did, in a way. He sent his only begotten son, the most precious gift there can be, to die for us. But God's not in the business of sort of trying to trick us by some, re, uh, some, some gift of some sort to love him. So that's the first thing. Gut-wrenching trials kind of sort it out for us. Lord, does still love you? And what will happen in the midst of those gut-wrenching trials for the believer is, I'm not saying every second of every day in it, but there will be the kind of confirming thing that says, Lord, even in this, I do love you, Lord. I don't understand what's going on, but I love you, Lord. It's a great proof. If somebody said, well, I'm going to follow Jesus as long as he holds up his side of the bargain and doesn't let any difficult times come, you're not going to find love for the Lord in the midst of the difficult time. It's like, well, you broke the deal. You know, I'm gone. Well, there was no deal to begin with, brothers and sisters. That's the point here. The second proof, he says, and though you do not now see him, you believe in him. In John chapter 20, verses 28 and 29 after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the meeting with the disciples and Thomas is there this time. He says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. You remember Jesus was saying, hey, come here, put your fingers in my... Because Thomas wasn't with the original group that saw him. And, uh, and Thomas then answers and says, oh, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, have you believed because you've seen me, like physically? Uh, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. In the midst of hard times, gut-wrenching times. Glad God chose that, because I've had some gut-wrenching times in my life. Uh, I can believe in him. I don't understand the time, but I can believe in him. I know he's there. I know he hasn't abandoned me. I'm perplexed gut-wrenched, but I believe. And God says, okay, that's the second of these proofs <laughs> in the gut-wrenching times. You really know whether you have a faith with strings or no strings. You know whether you really believe in him or not. Remember he said this proof is more precious than gold for the believer. He has a third one here. He says, listen, another thing that goes on is that we rejoice with joy that's inexpressible. Unutterable is the way some of the translations put it. In gut-wrenching times, we find within ourselves an inexpressible, glorious joy despite the time. This word translated, in, in this case, uh, inexpressible, unutterable, means you can't put it into words. You feel something inside that just simply cannot be written about, it cannot be put into adequate words, but you still are feeling it. One of the great things for me in the Word is that God promises me and us, when we're with Him, that after the resurrection, 
I won't know the, re, the, the limitations I currently have. And I believe what's inexpressible to me now, I can't put into words. I'll be able to. And people say, well, you put a lot of things into words, Gary. <laughs> I know that, but, but there's still things I can't. You know, and, but when I'm with him, I'll be able to. Everything now I feel limited about in terms of, I just don't have a word for that. <laughs> that would be done. I can say it all. Everything that I feel at the deepest level. And so will you. And God says, listen, isn't it ironic that in the midst of a gut-wrenching time, you can feel an inexpressible, unutterable joy? Not that every second of the time you're in it's there, but despite being in the time, this experience will emerge. Trial doesn't rob us of that experience. And I said, well, that just doesn't make sense. And God says, no, apart from my presence and my working in you, it doesn't make sense. But if I'm working in you, that changes the equation, doesn't it? And so even if you're in the midst of a gut-wrenching trial that I'm permitting, I will be at work in you. My Holy Spirit will be at work in you. And you'll find at times something that can't even be said, but you know and you feel and I believe, quite frankly, feel deeper than you do any time outside of gut-wrenching trials. And those that have had the gut-wrenching trials know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's, it's a grace from God in the midst of it. And then he goes on and he says, the fourth thing is that you're obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. When I'm in gut-wrenching trials, it makes it clear to me, why am I following the Lord Jesus Christ anyway? If the reason I'm following the Lord Jesus Christ is good life, prosperity, health, safety, feeling good about myself, the gut-wrenching trials will rip all of that away. I mean, you've got nothing left then. But if I understand, well, the reason I turn to Jesus Christ is because I knew I was separated from God. I knew I was a sinner with no solution. I saw the gospel. I, I, I admitted my sin. I received Christ. Why? Because I wanted forgiveness. I wanted salvation. I wanted eternal life. God says, in a way, I will see and experience that outcome in a deeper way in the midst of the hard time. I mean, it will become clear to me why I'm following Jesus. Why am I following Jesus? The proper goal is the salvation of my soul. That's the reason I'm following Jesus. Now, once saved, I am seeking to live for his glory, enabled by his spirit. Uh, but that's not the reason I determined to turn. I turned because I knew I was lost. And brothers and sisters, once you're found, even if you're, even if you're in the midst of a gut-wrenching trial, you're still found. You haven't lost what was most important. But if following Jesus was a matter of some other lesser thing, those can be gone in the midst of the heart-wrenching time. When our goal is right, joy and assurance is possible, even in the most gut-wrenching circumstances.
That's God's message in these verses. That's why in verse 10, which Lord willing, we'll try to look at next time. He said, now concerning this salvation, which has, which the proof of which is yours and all of these things are pointing to, that's why this salvation is something that the prophets looked so much for, the angels even longed to look into, because it is so wonderful, the true salvation that is found in Christ. Well, think about these things. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this day. Every one of us, as your children, have had our gut-wrenching times. Deep sadness, tears, perplexity, not understanding why and how you're working in the midst of it. But Lord, if we know Christ, you've used those times to show the genuineness of our faith, the truth about it. And you tell us that that's really, ultimately, the most precious thing in the world, gold. Oh, Lord, thank you that even gut-wrenching times do not pull us from your hand and even can't happen to us apart from your permissive purpose. Plant your word in us, I pray. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.